I invite you to turn with me again in God's Word to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Come to the end today of a a short series we've been going through in the Psalms. um, A a series I've entitled Sabbatical Psalms. Psalms that the Lord particularly used to minister to me over my time away recently on sabbatical. Um, There were five of them. There really could be 150 sabbatical Psalms. (laughs) All of the psalms speak to uh, what God is doing in us, um, give voice to the things that God is working in us, and so um, do, not, uh, do not stop as we seek God's grace in our lives at these five, uh, and really all in his word he speaks to us. But we're going to look at Psalm 40 this morning, and so let's um, ask God again to open our ears and our hearts to his word as I read it for us from Psalm 40. It's also printed there in your bulletins if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, And again, in the Pew Bibles on page 468. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. Yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord! As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. 
In 2018, 12 teenage soccer players and their coach found themselves trapped over a mile and a half deep in a narrow cave in Thailand after, after torrential rains came while they were exploring the cave and flooded it to such a degree that it cut off any hope of escape. And they were trapped in total darkness, cut off from any communication, any food, a mile and a half down in the center of this huge mountain. And you can imagine those kids wrestling with some sense of, of despair, some, some loss of hope. But over the next 18 days... Teams of rescue divers, engineers, cave specialists, doctors from around the world flocked to this village in Thailand and worked to eventually extract one by one each of these boys and their coach in a rescue mission that that literally captured global attention. You probably remember it. All 13 of those trapped were delivered to safety in an utterly astounding rescue that in human terms was deemed impossible. There's a couple of movies out now, documentaries that record that, and I I commend them to you to watch. But that rescue came at a cost. One of the Thai rescue divers, a former Navy SEAL, died as he sought to, to bring air to these air tanks to the cave. And it really is truly an amazing story of sacrifice and deliverance. And Psalm 40 tells another amazing story of a person's deliverance out of a situation in which he was hopelessly stuck. And that person is David, God's anointed king, author of this psalm and many other psalms. And it's a testimony of his own experience of being trapped in utter darkness, a situation where he feels, feels desperate, he feels utterly helpless and hopeless, his ama- and, 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 and also his testimony of his amazing deliverance at the hands of a rescuer and the impact that that has on his life and his faith. As we've seen in our, our look through the Psalms over these past weeks, the Psalms invite us into very real-world, real-life experiences of of sinners and saints in order that we might to some degree transpose or or overlay if you will our real world real life experiences onto theirs in a way that that gives validity to and gives voice to the the trials and the triumphs and the and the um and the difficulties we face in this life. The Psalms are, 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 are both living portrayals as well as, in some ways, patterns for us uh, and for how our faith engages in the realities of, of sin and, and suffering, in our relationship with God and our relationship with people around us and in the world, with our, with our own hearts and, and faith in our calling together as God's people. And in verse 1 to 3 of Psalm 40, we get sort of a summary of, of one of David's experiences. He is, he is looking back 
to a past event where he found himself in a desperate, difficult situation. What he calls a, a pit of destruction, a miry bog. And in the midst of this, this pit experience, we might call it, David cries out to the Lord. He calls out and he waits in hope. And God hears and he rescues him out of that situation and David responds with a new song of praise to God and confidence that many will come to faith in God as a result of his story. And then the rest of the psalm kind of expands on the impact of that experience and in David's life and in his faith, even as we see at the end of the psalm, he finds himself back in another time of a dark pit or trial in life. So what I want to do as we go through this psalm is to use the the pattern of David's own experience to see what we can learn when we find ourselves buried in a pit or mired in a bog in life, so to speak. And I want to think of that pattern kind of like one of those movies where the plot unfolds in in one-word descriptions. And verses 1 1 to 3 go kind of like this. The pit, the cry, the wait, the rescue... And the response. David opens with the psalm describing a time in the past where he was up to his neck in trouble. His situation is so bad that he he describes it as a pit of destruction, a miry bog. Well, we all know what a pit is, I think. And in David's day, there there were deep, deep, large pits. Cisterns that were used to hold water uh, in that dry and arid land. And if you happen to found yourself trapped down in one of these, it's kind of like, you know, back in the old day, you fell down in the well. It was not a good thing. There was not much hope of getting out. You might remember in Genesis 37, Joseph's brothers took him uh, as he came to them. And what did they do? They threw him in one of these big pits and left him there to die. The prophet Jeremiah, we're told in Jeremiah 28, uh, when he went to King Zedekiah and gave him news that he didn't want to hear, King Zedekiah said, take him and lower him down in the cistern and leave him there. You look at Jeremiah 28.6, it simply says, Jeremiah sank in the mud, in the miry bog. When I was a kid, we lived on a marsh with a, a little creek that at low tide Boys and girls, not like the creeks you play in around here. This was a, a tidal creek, and so there'd be water in it, and at low tide, the water would go out, and there was this great landscape of black, rolling hills of mud. And we, we would run and get our oldest tennis shoes, and we would, do what we, call, we would go what we call bogging. We'd go bogging in the mud, and the point of bogging was to just see if you could go out and walk across this, this landscape of mud of miry black called it pluff mud and so you'd you'd get out there and literally you would step and you'd sink up to your ankles and then you'd step and you'd sink up to your ankles but you might hit a place where you stepped and up to your knee and then you turn around you stepped again and next thing you knew you were up to your thigh and if you found yourself in that situation your only hope was either your friends would come over and pull you out or you would literally lay flat on the big thing of mud and start pulling yourself across like a penguin sliding across the ice. Only it wasn't nice, clean, smooth ice. We would come back just covered 
in black mud. We would go bogging, but it was a lot of fun, but it was also dangerous because if you were out there on your own and you got stuck and there was nobody to help you, the tides would rise and, and you could find yourself in danger of drowning. Well, that's how David describes this experience, this time in his life. He calls it not just a pit, but he calls it a pit of destruction. That word is used to describe a a violent wind or a stormy, raging sea. And so the picture here is one of not just being trapped, not just being stuck down in a deep hole and sinking in pluff mud, but but being overwhelmed by this, this rising, swirling, suffocating threat, this trouble all around you. Like those boys in the cave as they're sitting there and the water's just, just pouring in and they're watching it rise around them and, and their way, off is cut up, cut, way out is cut off and they're there to wait. They're just waiting in darkness and wondering, will we ever see the light of day again? And that's how David describes his situation. And, and think about it, have you ever felt like that? Maybe not trapped in a cave, maybe not stuck in a literal bog of mud, but Have you ever just felt like you were in a pit? Like you were stuck? It's funny, we aren't given any details of what this trouble was. Kind of like Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. We don't know what it was. We just know it was really, really bad. And really, really painful. We could probably hazard a guess from what we know about David's life, which had its share of troubles. But I think... It's both purposeful on the part of the Holy Spirit and it's very profitable for us that it keeps, it it doesn't tell us what it is. Because that keeps us from saying, well, that's David's problem. I, I, I can't identify with that. And he certainly can't identify with the pit that I find myself in right now. But later in the psalm, We find David describing another pit, another very present trouble that he's currently in. And he gives us some insight into the the causes and effects. And it's it's twofold and it serves as a general description of the the general cause of suffering and, and trouble and the pits and the bogs we find ourselves in in life. The first we might call the evil within. Look at verse 12. David describes being overwhelmed by his sin. The evils evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. He's so overwhelmed by his his own sin that he cannot see or think clearly. David wrote another psalm describing what it feels like when we keep silent and try to hide our sin. And he he says, my bones wasted away. Day and night, your hand, O God, was heavy upon me. My strength is dried up by the heat of summer. David's mentally depressed. He's spiritually weighed down. He's physically faint-hearted. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you find yourself feeling like that now. We can easily find ourselves in the pit, stuck in our own sin, trapped in a lie. Ensnared in some addiction, exhausted by the pursuit of pleasure or significance. Eaten up with envy or greed. Blinded by our own pride. Overwhelmed by past guilt. The evil within. 
But David also mentions the evil without in verses 14 and 15. There are those who are out to harm him, who delight in his pain and suffering, who mock and taunt him saying, aha, aha, see? Life's trouble often comes at us from the sin of others against us. (laughs) Or the general sin and, 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 and suffering, effects of sin and suffering in this world. A callous employer. A bully at your school. An abusive parent or spouse. An angry child. A gossipy neighbor. A mocking friend on social media. An attacking enemy. And then, of course, there's just the circumstantial uh, pits of life that we find ourselves stuck in. We lost our job or you've, you've lost your health in some way, struggling with an illness, loss of a loved one, overwhelmed at home, at school, at work. Evils have encompassed us within and without. And Jesus said to his followers, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. David's is the common experience of God's people throughout the ages. And it's the common experience of us in many ways today. The more we grow, it's interesting, the more we grow in our, in our, uh, in our faith and the more we seek to live in service to God, the more we become aware of our sin. <laughs> it's kind of paradoxical, but the, the Holy Spirit works like that. He opens our eyes to see not only God's grace, but to see our deep, deep need for it. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. Can you see yourself or do you find yourself in the miry pit with David? Some of us have been there. Some of you may be there now. All of us will at some point in our lives be there to some degree. And the natural reaction when you're stuck in a pit is what? To cry. <laughs> to cry out for help. And that's what we see. David's, uh, the, the question David says at the beginning, I cried out. The question is, to whom do you cry out? If you read the Psalms, David, the warrior king, did a lot of crying. He did a lot of crying out. And it wasn't a a grit your teeth and and bear it kind of cry. It was a desperate cry of a child in trouble kind of cry. And who does he cry to? He says, I cried out to Yahweh, to the Lord, to the Lord my God, the one who had covenanted with, with him to be with him and for him and for his people. And the reality is most of us are willing to cry out when we find ourselves in desperate situations. We're willing to cry out and seek help in times of trouble. But where do we usually turn first? I don't have my phone up here, but it's usually to look in there and figure out who am I going to call. Is it your husband, your wife, your mom or dad, your boss, your doctor, your therapist, your representative? your professor, your neighbor, the police, the fire department. <laughs> now, don't, don't get me wrong. It's good to call all of those at times. But who do you call first? Who's your first line of help? 
Second Chronicles 16 tells the story of King Asa who sought and relied despite God's telling him, I will take you, I will take care of you, I will deliver your enemies into your hands. He goes off and he signs a contract with the king of Syria and, and, and establishes a treaty with him. And the Lord comes to him and rebukes him for that. And then we're told at the end of his life, Asa got a disease in his feet. He got sick. He got, I don't know what it was, gout or something. I don't know, but he got a disease. And this is what it says. It says in 2 Chronicles 16, it says, At the end of his life, he got a disease. Yet, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but he sought the physician's. Now, the point is not that doctors are bad. We should seek doctors for help. We should go to them when we are sick. The point is that it's wrong when we make our doctor or our counselor or our pastor or our boss or our spouse or the police or the politicians, when we put them in the place of the only one who can ultimately help us. We had an entire world of frustrated, angry, depressed, anxious, overwhelmed people because nobody we cried out to during this pandemic could really ultimately (laughs) deliver us. David says in verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. When you are in the pit, stuck in the bog, cry out for help. But remember who to cry to first. Remember who to come to for ultimate deliverance. A helpless child naturally calls out to who? Mommy! Daddy! To the one that they know is for them. To the one that they know will know what to do to provide and help and care for her. Be quick to pray like David to your heavenly Father, as he does at the end of this psalm. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O God, make haste to help me. Whatever your situation is. God's given us a direct line. We don't have to to dial him up. We don't have to wait for him to, to, uh, to pick up. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. The pit, the cry, the wait... When the first divers finally discovered the boys in the cave, they'd, seen, they'd been in there for seven days. Seven days of not knowing what's going on in the darkness, not knowing if anybody would ever come. And one of their first questions, when the, div- the divers finally found them and came up, one of their first questions are, are you going to take us out now? Can we go out with you? They just thought, maybe we've got to go under this rock and, and, and everything will be fine. We'll just walk out of here. The divers just looked at them and they had no idea how they were going to get 13 people back down the route that they had just come. Five hours of diving through little small caves. And they were experienced cave divers. They knew the chance of getting these boys out alive was almost humanly impossible. And yet one of them assured the boys, we'll be back. We'll be back. Just wait. Be strong. 
believe. We'll be back. And you can hear on the video, one of the boys says, how long? (laughs) Can you just give us a time frame, please? David starts this psalm in this way, I waited patiently for the Lord. And that word patiently doesn't really capture the the sense of the Hebrew. Literally, it reads, waiting, I waited and waited and waited on the Lord. There is intensity, there is expectancy, there is an implicit trust It might be better put, I waited hopefully, I waited confidently for the Lord. There's a a humility in that kind of of waiting that says, like Jesus' disciples, where else will I go? I mean, who else can I turn to? We do not like to wait, do we? We want a schedule, we want an appointment, we want to put it on the calendar. We want punctuality. We get grumbly and we complain if we have to wait an extra 15 or 20 minutes in the waiting room at the doctor's office. When the repairman comes and says, you know what, I'll be there between 1 and 5. What's your first reaction? Oh my gosh, can't you give me a better window? I have to wait all that time and not know when you're going to come? We have deadlines. We want resolution. We want a quick answer. Well, brothers and sisters, God does not tell us when he will show up. He just tells us he will. (laughs) Remember what Jesus did when Martha and Mary called him to say that their brother Lazarus was sick and dying. He didn't do anything. (laughs) He waited for four days. And then he came. And the two sisters were left waiting as their brother died. But he came. And when he came, he called Lazarus out of the deepest pit that he could ever be in, the grave. God is not a genie that we just rub the bottle when we're in trouble and he pops out and says, what do you need? Sometimes he may leave us waiting for a long time, but he has promised to be with his people and he knows best. And so we cry out, And we wait for him. And in his time, he comes, which is what he does here. We see the the pit, we see the cry, we see the wait, and we see the rescue. Now, there's, there's no power in faith itself, as I said. It's the object of our faith that determines the power of that faith. And when we trust in God, even weak faith can move mountains. And as David cries out, as he waits upon the Lord, God comes to his rescue. And who is this rescuer, this this God whom he calls upon? Well, look at this beautiful description David gives there in verse 2. Really, end of verse 1 and verse 2. He says, he inclined to me. David says he came and he he bent down like a father coming down to look in the face of his his son or daughter or mother getting down on the floor to, to wrap her child in her arms. He comes down to meet us where we are, and he, he hears our cry. He listens to our plea. He doesn't get distracted by the billions and billions of other things that he's got going on in the world and put up his hand and say, you know what, can you hold that just for a minute? I'll talk to you in just a second. He doesn't nod his head and say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, 
as he goes about sustaining the rest of the universe. He hears, he inclines himself, he comes down, and he listens. And David says, then he drew me up from the pit. He he lifted me out of my struggling, floundering stuckness, and he sets me on a a stable, secure footing. He takes me from chaos and calamity into calm and confidence. He saves, he heals, he forgives, he comforts, he corrects, he provides, he encourages, he strengthens, he illumines, he guides, he disciplines, he loves. These are all ways in which we experience the Lord's rescue, the deliverance of our God. But he does it first by rescuing us from the deepest pit of destruction. The messiest, miriest bog that we all find ourselves in because of sin. And that's his own wrath and judgment upon evil. David recognized that the trouble he experienced was often at his own making. He knew that apart from God's grace and deliverance, there was no hope for him as a sinner. He understands, as he says in verse 6, That sacrifice and offering, which God commanded and and gave to his people, were not, not really what he required and desired. And they could never take away fully our sin. He says, God wants us. He wants our heart He opens our ear to know him. He he shows us what is written in his book about us so that we we might love and delight to follow his will. But we can't do that because we fail over and over and over again. We can't get ourselves out of the pit. And David's experience, as well as his words, anticipate a greater king and suffering servant. Jesus, God's own son. I don't know if you noticed in the the chapter from Hebrews that Annette read for us earlier in chapter 10. The writer there applies David's words here in verse 6 to 9 to Jesus. Who inclined himself to us, coming down in the flesh, voluntarily lowering himself into the pit with us and taking upon himself the destruction, the the flood of God's wrath for all our sins. Sinking into the grave in our place to be the final once and for all sacrifice. And then he raises us up with him he lifts us from the pit of destruction he sets our feet on the solid ground of God's mercy and steadfast love and truth so that we might know that mercy and that forgiveness and that acceptance that we might be delivered from death to life David's experience in this psalm was the experience of Jesus when he came to this earth but to a much greater degree He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was despised and hated. He had people mocking him and seeking his life. He was killed by those who delighted in his pain and death. Evils beyond number encompassed him from within, not his own sin, but the sin of you and me and all of the world placed upon him. And from without, that sin coming coming down and crushing 
him and piercing him for our iniquity. The rescue of those boys from the cave came not at the hands of the experts. It wasn't by the hands of the powerful and the strong. No amount of engineering, and there was a lot going on, could restrain the water that was pouring into that cave. It came at the hands of about five or six weekend cave divers. Men who did this for a hobby but flew over from all over the world and entered into the depths voluntarily bringing to go in and, and find and bring out those kids. And the only way that they could eventually do it, the only solution to it, was they had to sedate each child, put them to sleep, make them unconscious, put a wetsuit on them and a mask and a tank, and then literally, physically, grab a hold of them like a package and swim them back through five hours of narrow, dark cave. Ugh, gives me chills thinking about it. Literally, they were the only source of life for that child on that journey. And only as Christ takes upon himself our sin, only as we die to sin, only as we are in him, wrapped in his grace and his mercy and his righteousness, as we are brought through the grave, only then are we brought from death to new life. Only then are we rescued and delivered from the pit of hell into new life in him. And to do that, we have to trust him. Not one of those kids resisted what was ahead of them. I mean, can you imagine? Somebody's telling you, they're, you know, they didn't really know what was ahead of them, but they just said, you're my guy. And they were brought out. And miraculously, every single one of them lived. We have to be like those boys. We have to cry out to the Lord. We have to put our life in his hands. We have to look to him alone as our help and deliverer. And unlike those divers who did not know if they would bring out a living child or a dead corpse at the end of the journey, Jesus says, I will lose none of those whom the Father gives to me. No one and nothing can snatch you from my hands. Jesus delivers us from the ultimate pit of destruction and he promises to get us home through every other pit that we find ourselves in. 
And often he does that as we find ourselves in those pits through what we call secondary means. Through the love of a family member, through the skills of a physician, through the wisdom of a counselor, through the generosity and compassion of a friend, through the protection of a, of a defender, through the assistance of a helper. But God, God puts us in the community of faith, the body of Christ, for the purpose that we would be his hands and feet, that we would walk together in this journey that we would lift one another up by his power and by his spirit out of the pits that we're in. But always, always the primary cause, the wonder worker behind the work is, as David notes in verse 5, the Lord's wondrous deeds and thoughts towards us. He is always working. He is always thinking of you. He is always providentially planning and purposing his good will for us. And it's called grace. God's steadfast love and undeserved mercy, which he pours out on us in Christ, which he nurtures and nourishes in us by his spirit. And he does not restrain it at all from those who are his. That's the rescue. Now the response. And I'll be quick here. David's response to God's deliverance from trouble is threefold in this psalm. His first response is worship. He says, God put a new song in my mouth, a new song of praise to our God. And often when we come through a difficult trial, a difficult uh, time, we gain new perspective. We gain a new understanding. Our faith is, is meant to be strengthened. And we have a greater sense of God's goodness and his, and, his, and his care for us. And so we rejoice and we praise. And it's not just with our lips, but with our lives. He doesn't want us just showing up for church or volunteering or, or doing our quiet times, knowing all those things are good and right and that's part of it. But he wants our wills to follow him, our hearts to love him, our lives to be lived fully for him. When those boys got out of the cave... Everybody that was there jumped up and cheered and hugged and cried and shouted and it was going around the world. <laughs> Worship, witness. David has a story and through it he is confident that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. This psalm is filled with, with ministry that overflows out of David's own experience of suffering. And it's a ministry of proclamation. He can't hold back. I will proclaim and tell the glad news. I have not restrained my lips. I will not hide your deliverance. I will not conceal your love. I will, uh, it's over and over. And brothers and sisters, God gives us a story in our suffering. He takes it through, he takes us through it for a reason. And that reason is that we would share his goodness, his faithfulness. We would say, great is the Lord who delivered me. He can deliver you. We are quick to recommend a good doctor or a good counselor or a good teacher. How quickly are we to recommend the one who truly rescues us and deserves the glory and the credit? Worship, witness, and last, continued waiting. Life is full of pits. If you're not in one now, you will be at some point. If you've been in one, you know what it feels like. I found myself in a pit over these last year and a half or two years 
that I didn't really see at first, I didn't really understand, but it, it can be dark, it can be lonely. It can, be, it can feel somewhat hopeless. But I know my rescuer. <laughs> I know my redeemer. And I know he will show up. And so when we're in that pit, we can continue to cry and to wait. And as for me, as, as, Paul, as David says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Don't fear. In Christ, he has come and he will come again. Let's pray together. Lord, you are our help and our deliverer. And as we come now, to offer our gifts and our lives to you and to receive what you have for us, your grace, your mercy in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you incline yourself to us. You hear us, you listen, and you lift us up. Would you do that this morning, Father, for anyone here who finds them in a pit, themselves in a pit, stuck, Father, would you lift them up to the freedom we have in Jesus Christ, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Just as you remain seated, we're going to pass the offering, and we're going to sing a song, prepare our hearts for coming to the Lord's table. I remind you that some of the kids from Ambassador Kids will be coming in, but I want you to really focus on these words of this song, reminder of what we come to do here at this table. Let's continue in worship.
come to the table of the king and as we come he invites us to to remember his past deliverance to participate in his ongoing grace and rescue in our lives and to look ahead to the day when we will find ourselves standing fully free and at rest in his presence around his table He invites us to this feast with him in the midst of our suffering. It's a table prepared in the presence of our enemies. And we do that, we come to him and feast with him by feasting on him, by taking, literally taking him in by faith and by his spirit and receiving the benefits and the blessings which he has secured for us through his death and his resurrection. If you're here and you're not a believer or not yet having professed your faith as a communing member, or you are a believer but you are living in unrepentant sin and in rebellion against God, Paul warns us not to come in an unworthy manner. Use this time to, to pray and to ask God for his deliverance. <laughs> but we don't come because we are worthy. We come because he has made us worthy. And so as you confess your sin, as we confess our sin and, and repent and come before him again, he receives us with open arms. To all who believe, to all who received him, he gives the right to become children of God. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for forgiveness of sins. Drink it, all of you, in remembrance of me. I'll invite the elders to come forward as we pray together. Father, we enter into this place because of what you have done for us. 
you have come down. You have entered in to this world. You have taken upon yourself our deepest need, forgiveness for sin and wrath and penalty for that. And you have given us new life. And so we come as those, Lord, who have been lifted up from the pit of destruction, who now stand in the freedom of your grace. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be powerfully present in this sacrament through these ordinary means that you would do your extraordinary work and that we would be nourished and strengthened and lifted up and encouraged knowing that you are here with us and that you will come for us to bring us into your kingdom on the day that you bring it into all its fullness. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As the deacons come and release, as we've done before, invite you to come sit in these front rows and be served by the elders and then kind of make your way back to your seat and, uh, during this time. If you see empty seats, feel free to stand up and come fill them in. You don't have to wait. So, Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment which brought us peace was laid upon him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old is gone and the new has come all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you'd like to come forward, we can fill in these seats. And if not, we can stand maybe off to the sides even. If, uh, I think we'll have a few maybe, but please feel free to come on up. Well, maybe we won't have a lot of room, so. <laughs> but come up anyway. We'll stand on the sides and, uh, and serve you as you can. being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus our Lord Jesus 
said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. all who are left to come forward and
pray together. Great God in heaven, create in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from us. Father, deliver us through this difficult journey into your presence and into your kingdom. And we proclaim your glory and your goodness in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing the first and the last verse of our final hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. You're invited back again this afternoon at 5.30 to join us again as we fellowship together. And now receive God's blessing. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.